Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Good morning, everyone. It's a great morning. Last week I started a series on the letter to the seven churches from the book of Revelation. And it was just going to be a two-part series. I did three churches last Sunday. Uh, The pastor asked me to split it up into another Sunday, so I'm going to do two churches today, and then the week after Mother's Day, I'll do the last two churches, okay? And I prefaced last week's message by imagining Jesus coming to visit here incognito. We don't know it's Him. He comes in the doors, right? He shakes hands with the greeters and the ushers and the visitors, and He sits back and He checks out the worship team, and He stands up. You know, does he raise his hand? I don't know what he does. But Jesus is here in the church. And he comes to the elders' meetings and he comes to the children's church and he's up there in the sound booth and he's here when they're vacuuming the carpeting. I mean, he's interested in what we do here at our church. And a couple months later, he writes a letter and it's to the pastor, it's to the angel of the church at Cornerstone, Pastor Willie Taylor. And he gets this letter from Jesus. And what's it going to say? What would it say? And so we're I'm speculating based on these seven letters that we're reading. What did Jesus say to these churches that were real in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago? What can we infer as Cornerstone 2,000 years later? So that's kind of our mission. Okay. And I said, we are the church. Because if you say Cornerstone, you think, well, that's... that's uh, That's the building over there on Old Grace. No. Oh, well, that's Pastor Willie and Elder John and Elders Sam and Brandy. No. What I really like about this bulletin, I just happened to notice it. It says, we are the church on your bulletin, right? We the people. So, when we're talking to the church at Cornerstone, okay, look around and look at everybody. We are the church. Okay. Um, And I tried to describe using finger writing on what these churches may have looked like. So Ben, do we have, uh, we have a map actually now you can see. This is Asia Minor. And you can see uh, Ephesus is in the lower left. And see how it kind of makes that horseshoe I was telling you about. And you see Patmos is before, is below Ephesus. Okay, so John was exiled on Patmos when he's writing these letters. And somehow the letter got from Patmos to... Ephesus. Somebody, I guess he mailed it. Um, (laughs) So I'm not sure what the postal system was like back then. But the Holy Spirit made sure that that letter made the rounds. So I started with Ephesus. Then we did uh, Smyrna. Then Pergamum. Today we're going to do Thyatira and Sardis. And then two weeks we'll do Philadelphia and Laodicea. So these are real churches in real locations. Uh, You can go visit these ruins if you want to. Um, But Jesus was really concerned about His church. You know, as I was thinking about it, uh, these letters are really, it's kind of like a coach being with his team. Right? A good coach pours his life into his team. Well, Jesus is coaching these churches. Now, He's more than a good coach. He's the Son of the living God, right? Jesus died so that the churches 
could be birthed. So I'm not taking anything away from it. But, you know, this, this picture that we have of Jesus walking among His churches, He's really, He's visiting His coaches, He's giving them feedback. He's telling them what's good, what needs to be corrected. He gives them encouragement. He tells them to persevere. And He tells them what the reward is for their overcoming. So we're seeing that with every one of these churches. So, you remember uh, last week, what did he sell? What did Jesus tell the church at Ephesus? Well, he introduced himself to Ephesus as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks around the seven golden lampstands. And Ephesus needed to know that Jesus was instrumental in his church. He's really involved. Remember, the seven stars were the seven leaders of the churches. Okay? And Ephesus needed to hear that. Remember, Ephesus, they did well with false teachers. They did well with persevering in good works. But they left their first love. Okay? So, and we talked about we don't want to lose our first loves. Then how did he introduce himself to Smyrna? Remember, Smyrna was the persecuted church. Well, if you were Smyrna, what would you need? You would need some comfort and compassion because you're about to be thrown into prison and die for your faith. Well, Jesus said, hey, I'm the first and the last. I'm the one. I was dead, but now I'm alive again, Smyrna. It's like, oh my goodness, that is good news, Jesus, because they're about to kill me. And you were dead, but now you're alive. So if they kill me, I'm going to be with you because to be absent from the body is to be present with a living Jesus. So Smyrna is very encouraged. Uh, Pergamum, remember, they had some good, but they also had some bad. They tolerated the teachings of Balaam. Right? Sexual immorality, uh, idolatry. So how did Jesus introduce Himself to the church at Pergamum? He said, hey guys, I'm the one with the two-edged sword. I come, I bring judgment, I make war. That's what He said. He said, if you don't stop what you're doing and repent, I'm going to come and fight against you. Okay, so it's a serious thing going on in the church of the living God, right? Jesus is not going to tolerate false teachers, false prophets, uh, sexual immorality in His church. He just isn't going to do it. Alright, so now we are, we came up north to Pergamum. Now we're rounding the bend. We're going to come south to Thyatira. Alright, Thyatira is a church of about 20,000 people founded by I didn't know this, but Alexander the Great, uh, when he overthrew the Persian Empire. Okay? It was known for its merchants and craft guilds. And we know that because of Lydia. You remember Lydia from Acts? Lydia was a seller of purple, right? And Lydia was in Philippi, but she was from Thyatira. You remember she was down by the river, and Paul was down by the river. And uh, Lydia was a Greek God-fearer. And Paul found that out and said, hey, you hear about Jesus? Died on the cross, rose from the dead. You need to receive Him and and to have eternal life. She said, oh, yeah, sure. So Lydia gets saved and becomes a testimony. So that's pretty cool. Anyway, she was from Thyatira. And presumably, what happened, what do you think happened if she went back to visit her folks in Thyatira? She probably told them about Jesus, right? being a good testimony and witness. Okay, they worshipped uh, Apollo, the sun god, Zeus's son. You guys know Apollo was Zeus's son? Okay. 
a little crazy. Uh, so there's some, you know, there's emperor worship going on. There's this false god worship still going on here in Thyatira. Okay, so I don't know about this Zeus's son thing, but Jesus introduces himself. Look in verse uh, chapter two, verse eighteen now. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God. Not Zeus's son. Don't worship that nonsense, these false deities. The Son of God is here, talking to the church in Thyatira. Not interested in Zeus's son, Apollo. Okay? The Son of God. By the way, it's, it's interesting, Jesus doesn't refer to Himself hardly at all as the Son of God. His favorite title for Himself was the Son of Man because He came as a man to die on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. But here, He's in heaven now, seated at the right hand of of the throne. He's the Son of the living God who has eyes like a flame of fire and His feet are like burnished bronze. Okay, So why why is He saying this? What is this eyes like blazing fire? You remember from... uh, a scripture came to me, I think it's in Second Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over the earth, seeking those whom He may strengthen, those whose hearts are diligent towards Him. So God's eyes like can check things out. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He sees all things, right? Okay. So He's in His church. He knows what's going on in His church. And another scripture that was pretty descriptive was in uh, Hebrews 4.13. So that should maybe be up there. The author says this, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of them with whom we have to do. So, you know, his eyes are blazing fire. He sees all. I mean, he sees what I did this morning. He sees what you did. He sees when I got upset with my son this morning. He saw it. Okay, so... This is a picture of his all-knowing eyes. Now, how about these uh, feet of bronze, burnished bronze? Well, my guess is that the feet of Jesus are used for judgment. Because if you read at the end of Revelation, it says He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty. So the picture is the wicked are thrown into a winepress And just like they used to step on the grapes in their bare feet and mush them out and get the wine, so Jesus is going to be treading on the wicked at the end of the age. Okay, so an aspect of judgment that's you know pretty sobering, isn't it? So that's that's my guess as to his feet of burnished bronze. But I have this. Against well, let me let me start in verse 19. I know your deeds and your love, and your faith, and your service, and your perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. That's an encouraging word, isn't it? Yeah, Jesus always says what's encouraging about his children. And actually, this is a you know what we're reading, what Jesus is saying to these churches. These are things we want to do in our church. So we want to have deeds, good deeds. We want to have lots of love. And we want to have great faith. 
And we want to have works of service. And we, we want to persevere through difficult times and not deny Him. And we want our deeds to be increasing. Their deeds were increasing. Remember what Peter said, First uh, Peter one five nine. Pastor actually read this in his message to the Philippians, but I want to read it again. Peter says this, Hey guys, if you do what I'm about to read, Peter gives us a list of things to do. If you do these things in greater and greater measure, it's kind of like making your calling and election a sure thing. Okay, he goes on to say that. So what is Peter's list? What does he want us to do? Verse 5. He says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence. Okay, do we know what diligence means? I think we do. It means not procrastinating. So if you hear a message on reading your Bible, you go home and you read your Bible. Right? I mean, you just get to it. You get, diligence is getting to it. You know, if, if, if God has put on your heart that you need to you know, make a meal for the woman across the street, you get to it. You don't put it off until next week. You get to it. Okay, so that's what God wants us to do. Increase in diligence. In your faith, supply moral excellence. So, moral excellence, that's just virtue. You know, we need to be virtuous with our, in our faith. So, we want increasing faith. So, we need to pray, God, give me increasing faith. Lord, increase my faith. God, I want good works. I want greater faith this week than I had last week. That's what Peter's saying to us. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. Knowledge of what? The morning news? Well, probably knowledge of God, right? You've got to be reading your Bible, listening to tapes, messages, uh, checking out YouTube, listening to sermons, growing in your faith, listening. And in your knowledge, self-control. Right? Self-control. So we're, that's one thing I have to work on with my boys is when they get under my skin, so to speak, I react quickly. I'm not slow to wrath slow to speak. Okay, so I need that self-control. So I need to slow down with what I say to my boys. So that's something I have to work on. Uh, self-control, that could be anything, right? That could be the 83 cookies that we wanted to eat yesterday to... Um, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> We, we need self-control for so many things, don't we? We really do. Uh, perseverance. Guys, it's hard. Life is hard sometimes, isn't it? We get sick. We get down. The car bre- Last week, it was unbelievable what I had to go through last week. I'm not going to go into it, but I really had to persevere last week. I didn't want to. I thought, why is this happening to me? <laughs> Well, it's happening so I can persevere and learn perseverance with a good attitude with increasing measure. So when I stood up here today, I wouldn't be a hypocrite. That's why I had to go through a whole bunch of stuff last week. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and in your perseverance, godliness. You want to be more godly, more like Jesus, don't you? So shouldn't we say, Jesus, make me more like you today? That's what Peter's saying. That's what they did at Thyatira. Their deeds were, were increasing. That's what we want to do here at Cornerstone. So, I think you get the picture. Alright, let's go back to Thyatira here. 
So they're doing some good things. But, verse 20, they get a but. I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. As soon as you read the word Jezebel, what do you immediately think of? The Old Testament Jezebel. Now, the Old Testament Jezebel didn't call herself a prophetess, uh, but she, sure, she certainly sponsored 850 of the prophets of Baal that fought against uh, Elijah and the true God on Mount, Mount Carmel. Remember that? And she certainly was a murderer. She had Naboth killed. Remember, Naboth wanted, uh, Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard and he wouldn't give it to him. So, you know, Jezebel's like, why are you whining, husband? I'll just take him out. Don't worry about it. So she has him killed. Jehu confronts Jezebel and says, accuses her of harlotries and um, witchcraft. So this spirit of Jezebel is a bad thing. And what's amazing, this is, this is kind of amazing to me. It shouldn't though, but it is. Listen to this. She teaches and leads who? Bondservants. That's the word doulos. These are the slaves of Jesus. These are Christians. So these Christians are being misled. You would think that, you would think that they're people that go to church, but they're not really Christians that are being misled. It looks like these are really Christians. She, I mean, when Jesus calls you a bondservant, you're His bondservant, right? So this woman, Jezebel, whether that's a real name or not, doesn't matter. She is misleading the bondservants of Jesus Christ. She's in trouble. And those that are doing it with her are in trouble. Okay? That's, that's not good at all. So I was, I was kind of shocked when I read that so that they commit acts of immorality. The bondservants are committing acts of immorality. So this is telling me this can happen in a church. And things sacrificed to idols. And we talked about that last week. Wasn't that the heir, heir, the heir of Balaam? Didn't he do the same thing? And we said, we, this leadership would not tolerate sexual immorality in this church. Um, and so we don't have that rampant idolatry and sexual immorality in our church. But we did talk about where does it start? It starts in your heart, doesn't it? And it starts with a magazine. It starts with clicking on the wrong internet site like I talked about last week. It talk, I mean, it talks about... You know, remember Jesus said, uh, you know, you shall not commit adultery is one of the Ten Commandments. You say, well, I haven't committed adultery. Well, Jesus said, if you've lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart, right? Okay, so what we don't want here at this church is this heart stuff going on in the wrong way. Because that's where it starts. And even though it's not, we can't see it, it's there in our hearts. Okay, so what we really have to be careful, especially young people. You want to date, get married, right? It's fun dating. I dated. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's good to date. It's good to be married. Um, but you want to do it the right way. You don't want to do it with impure thoughts. So you have to have a high bar in your dating. 
Okay, so in other words, when you're dating, you don't like you drive over. Hey, nobody's home, so we can go in. And you go see a movie, and the movie had some romantic sexual stuff in it. And then you go back to the house, and you go in and you hang out together on the couch. And bad idea. <laughs> I mean, is it? Is that a good idea to do? No. I'm not just talking about young people. I'm talking about older singles too, right? You just don't do that kind of stuff. So, why? Because you saw the movie. You were enticed in the movie. Okay, so now you get home. Now you're sitting together close to each other on the couch. So now the temptation... Do you think the temptation is not going to come? And if it does come, do you think you're strong enough to overcome it? I hope you are, but most many people don't. So, that's what I'm saying as a church. How do we guard ourselves? What does the Scripture say? Guard your heart for out of it flow the wellsprings or issues of life. That's what we're talking about doing. So, rampant sexual immorality starts by guarding your heart. So, that's why I say young people that are dating, guard your heart. Older people, you're married. You better guard your heart in the workplace because if you're a little cold with your husband or wife at home and there's somebody at work that's uh, really friendly towards you, you need to guard your heart and stay away from that because that's a mess. That's where sexual immorality comes from. You didn't guard your heart at work. You didn't ask your wife to forgive you. You didn't ask your husband to forgive you. You weren't intimate with your husband and wife. It went on for a period of weeks and months and months and even years. And you're not doing what you're supposed to do with your marriage. Satan hits you just when you're at your weakest part in the workplace. Next thing you know, you got a secret little rendezvous out for lunch. Next thing you know, someone's out of town and she's over, he's over at your place. That's how that happens. I mean, you know that for a fact, right? That's how it happens. So I'm warning you. I'm admonishing you. I'm encouraging us. Stay away from that nonsense. And we'll have a church that's holy and pure in Jesus' sight. That's what we want. Okay. A little digression there. But guys, I don't know if you realize over the years I, I share this a lot. Why do I do that? Because I would submit our culture is more sexually promiscuous and active than their culture was. Because we have the means to spread sexual immorality more than any other time in history. We have the ability to send pornographic images to be viewed by what? Half half the world's half the planet's population? Don't we? On the internet? And through through T V and, and media? So that's why I say it and see, it creeps in. It just it's like a it's I don't even know how to describe it. It it just creeps in and its tentacles wrap themselves around us. And the next thing you know, we're lulled to sleep. And we don't even realize the clothes that I'm wearing are, you know, on the sensual side. And and see the next thing you know, it's we start to compromise and we start to fall asleep. So Somebody has to be a voice for it, right? I mean, the script, that, I'm just teaching you what the Scriptures teach you. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to anybody in this room. Okay. Uh, let's see here. We are on verse 21. 
I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. This is amazing to me. I gave her time to repent. So this wickedness is going on in the church of the living God and Jesus is going to show grace and give time to repent? Isn't that amazing? God is gracious even to the wicked, isn't He? And that reminded me, you know, we'll jump on each other, we'll get offended with really little things and not forgive each other and not repent. But God will give this gross atrocity, this person committed this stuff, time to repent because He's gracious. So I think think it puts it in perspective. We really need to have hearts of forgiveness for each other and, and repentance for each other. Okay. Beside, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. Sickness isn't in the Greek, but it certainly could be there. He's going to cast her on a bed. Some kind of sickness or suffering. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. So again, he gives them an opportunity to repent. If they don't repent, he's coming. He's coming. What's he going to do? Guys, this is, this is just really hard. I was trying to think. You know, we were talking yesterday at our elders meeting you know, about injecting humor in our messages. It's hard to inject humor in a message with, with what I'm reading here today. Um, but sometimes you know, there's a time for humor and there's a time for sobriety. Verse 23, And I will kill her children with pestilence, and the churches will know that I am He who searches the minds and hearts And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. You know, it's hard to picture Jesus killing somebody. But does it say that? Or did I say that? He said it, right? So what's going on? I mean, should I be in fear of Jesus coming here to Cornerstone and killing me? No. You know, God does not kill and fight against His children. Okay? Fathers don't fight and kill their children. Jesus will chasten those whom He loves and Jesus will fight and kill those who are enemies of the cross. Okay, that's, what we're, that's who we're talking about here. We're talking about enemies of the cross. We're not talking about born-again Christians. Jesus doesn't fight and kill born-again Christians. But this is serious stuff, right? You, you don't mess around with this. Um, pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am He who searches the minds and hearts. So, you know, we saw Jesus introduces Himself to Thyatira as the one whose eyes are blazing fire. And He says, hey guys, I search your minds and hearts. I see everything going on. And we need to shape up. You've done this thing well, but in this area you've got this false teacher here I'm giving her time, but you're in deep trouble if you don't take care of this thing. And so that's what he's going to do. Was there any other time when anybody died in church history? Yeah, Ananias and Sapphira. What did they do? They sold their land, brought it to the apostles' feet. Peter said, how much did you get? They said, well, we got this much. Holy Spirit says, Peter, we just lied to you. He said, Ananias, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? Guy drops over dead. Wife comes in. said, did you sell your land for this much and give us this much? He said, oh yeah. He said, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? 
She drops over dead. They take her out and bury her. So why, why is this happening? Why did this happen? One, we talk about compassion, God's compassion, right? Rightly so. His loving kindness, His grace, His mercy. But who talks about His holiness? So you're going to transgress God's holiness. You're going to offend God's holiness and traffic in unrighteousness. You don't mess around. I mean, you know, when they... when. Uh, was it Uzzah stretched out his hand to keep the cart from tipping over? God took him out because the law said, don't touch it. The Levites carry it on a pole. Nobody touches the Ark of the Covenant. That's my rules. I'm holy. you got to do what I'm saying. This is serious stuff. I'm God. I know the way it's supposed to be. So, you know, I, I don't... The other thing I was going to mention, again, guys, I'm sorry this is all so serious, but it's there for a reason. Um, You remember Paul's letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11. We're doing communion today. And Paul's writing these people who are doing communion. He's saying, guys, you're getting drunk and you're, you're eating in front of these people who don't have food. What are you doing? Eat at home. Don't get drunk here. What are you doing? He said, some of you have died and gotten sick because of what you did. Isn't that something? So, are we exempt from that? I don't think so. So anyway, it's, it's an encouragement to us here at Cornerstone. Let's enjoy God's mercy and grace and loving kindness, but let's really be focused also on His holiness. God's a holy God. He's a jealous God. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 24, But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira and who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. So, yes, there's a remnant that hasn't gotten into that foolishness. Yes. Jesus is saying, look, I'm not putting any other burden on you. Just hold what you already know. You know that stuff is sin. Don't do it. Just keep doing the works of service. Don't deny my name. Be faithful to me. And I'm coming soon. Just hold on. Yes. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. Verse 26, He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him will I give authority over the nations. So we see this pattern here in all these letters. Jesus is saying, hey, you've got to overcome. Okay, it's worth the reward of overcoming. And I told you last week, what's the definition of overcoming? 1 John 5, 4, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Period. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Period. If you are a born-again Christian, By definition, you're an overcomer. Does that mean we can't slip? No. I mean, we can slip. But the Holy Spirit is going to work in us to will and to do for His good pleasure. And that's good news. Um, This is kind of interesting here. I will give Him authority over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron as vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as also I have received authority from my Father, 
And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, if you read the end of Revelation, who is it that rules the nations with a rod of iron? It's Jesus. But who now is ruling? We are. So now he's saying, hey guys, if you overcome, you're going to rule with me with a rod of iron, the nations. Really? I'm going to rule with Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, we'll see in one of the other letters. To him who overcomes, will I grant to sit with me on my throne. That's ruling and reigning. So, what's going on here? My, you know, my having to... I've dealt with sickness, car problems, wife out of town, my own flesh, my own irritability, um, all that this past week, new classes, uh, new lessons, I just all this stuff I had to deal with. Why, why, why do I have to overcome it? One, it brings glory to God. But number two, it's practice for what? I'm going to be ruling the nations with a rod of iron under Jesus. That's what I mean, did it say that or am I saying that? I think it says that, right? It says, He who keeps my deeds to him, I will give authority over the nations. So guys, do you, do you realize, realize this is practice? We're in practice now. Practice for what? Ruling the nations. Remember, I already gave a message, a series of messages on the millennial kingdom and the eternal kingdom. Well, I think we're going to be ruling and reigning during the thousand-year reign of Christ. And I think there's going to be some responsibility given to us in a big way in the eternal kingdom. Why? Because it says so. I don't know all how it works out, but I know it's pretty amazing It's that the living God would choose me, you, to rule and reign for eternity with Him. Who can comprehend that? So Jesus is saying, hey guys, think of the rewards. These momentary light afflictions, John, that you're going through, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed on that day. Praise God. Okay. That's Thyatira. One more church. Sardis. Sardis, let's see here. Sardis was a city of about 120,000 people. They had a temple, of course, more idol worship. Uh, Sibel, or, or Diana. Sibel is another name. They worshipped Apollo, the sun god, also. Okay, what's interesting is this city was built on an elevated plateau and surrounded by three sides by a, a really high, rocky wall. So all they had to do was build a wall in the front of this city to protect it from invaders. Well, the thing about this city is, uh, twice in antiquity, once in 549 B.C., Cyrus's soldiers were able to come in over the wall that they built because they were kind of asleep at the helm, so to speak, and come in and conquer the city. Then again, it happened in like 218 B.C., Antiochus the Great Army. Again, the sentries were careless. They were able to come in and ravage the city. So, that's kind of an interesting little anecdotal story. And as you see what I read, I, I wonder if Jesus is kind of referencing that historical anecdote. We'll see though. Alright, I'm in chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, 
He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. Okay, I, I told you Jesus is introducing Himself a different way to each church. And a lot of times it has to do with what that church is going through. Now, now what is Jesus saying? He's got the seven spirits. What do you mean He's got seven spirits? What is that? And then He's got seven stars. Well, you know what the seven stars are, right? They're the seven messengers of the churches, seven angels of the churches. So we know that one. But the seven spirits, who are they? I think the definition of the seven spirits is given in Revelation 1.4. So I don't know if we have that. I think we do. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace. Okay, grace to you and peace. Check this out. From Him who is and who was and who is to come. Could that be God the Father? And from the seven spirits who are before His throne. Could that be the Holy Spirit? And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, God the Son. Possibility, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So it's possible that the seven spirits, seven is the number of completeness perfection. So it's possible that these seven spirits, Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit. So He's saying to this church at Sardis, hey guys, I'm coming. I'm the one who holds the seven leaders. I've got the leader of your church and I've got the Holy Spirit. Okay, So the Holy Spirit might figure prominently here at Sardis. Let's see. I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Would you like Jesus to pronounce that over <laughs> your family or your church? Well, you've got this reputation for being a live church, but really, you're dead. Do you guys ever hear the expression, living off yesterday's manna? It's, um, you remember, the manna, they, couldn't, they could only gather enough for one day. So if they gathered a couple days worth, it would spoil and go rotten. So the idea is, if I stand up in here, if I'm preaching to you what God was doing in my life 20 years ago, and I never say what God is doing in my life today, you, know, you kind of wonder, where am I? Do I have a current relationship with Christ? Or am I kind of up here preaching on a reputation of what God did in my life 20 years ago? Okay, So just me standing up here forces me not to be a hypocrite. I have to say, I have to keep a current relationship with the Lord. Otherwise, I'm a hypocrite as I stand up here. Okay, so this church at one point had some kind of life to it. Good deeds, good works, not ashamed of the Gospel, preaching the Gospel. But somehow, what happened? Well, it says you're dead. Somehow they got dead. Going dead doesn't just happen overnight. You slowly get assimilated by culture. You slowly fall asleep, you get lazy, you stop reading the Word, you stop doing the work of the... I mean, it's a slow evolution, usually. Verse 2, wake up, guys, he says, and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. So I'm wondering, you know, these sentries guarding this old city on the past hundred years, they weren't awake and the armies came over and ransacked the city. So I'm wondering if, you know, this would be, the city was known for that, right? They're kind of ashamed 
of that in their history maybe. Well, here's Jesus saying to the saints, hey guys, you need to spiritually wake up. You don't want to end up like what happened to you guys in 518 B.C. I don't know. Just a thought. So he has not found their deeds completed in the sight of my God. So somehow... They had some deeds, but they weren't completed. What does that mean? Well, you can do deeds two, you can do good works two ways. One, you can do them in your own strength. Two, you can do them in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? One counts for eternity, one that doesn't count. Because Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do what does that mean? I can run a mile if I want to. Jesus, what do you mean I can't do anything? I'm gonna go run a mile, I can go do it. That's not what it means. It means it doesn't count for eternity. It doesn't count for any rewards that God wants to give us. It's going to be burned up on that last day, as Paul said. Every man's work will be tested as though by fire. Remember that? So if I do a good work, well, the work still benefits the person, but if I have the bad attitude and I'm doing it in my own strength, that work doesn't count for me. It gets burned up. So if this church was doing works apart from the Holy Spirit, that could be why Jesus introduces introduces Himself to this church as, hey guys, I'm the one with the Holy Spirit. Remember the Holy Spirit? You can't do these things on your own. Okay, I'm kind of reading between the lines. A little sanctified speculation, if you will. (laughs) Uh, Let's see here. So, verse 3, So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. That sounds familiar. That's what he said to the church at Ephesus. He said, hey, remember the height at which you've fallen? He said, do the first things. Repent. So he's saying the same things to the church at Sardis. Guys, remember what you've received and heard. Well, what did they receive and heard? The apostles' teaching. The Gospel. Right? Everything we know from our Bible, that's, that's what they got. Repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, again, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come to you. So, you know, I talked about diligence. Who is diligent here? I mean, Jesus is diligent, isn't He? Hey, I'm going to give you some time to repent. If you don't repent, I'm coming. Oh, really? <laughs> And I guarantee He's coming. If He says, I'm coming, He's coming. He is diligent. He really is diligent. Okay. So He's going to come like a thief. They wouldn't know at what time in an hour He will come to them. He's going to make the situation right. He's not going to tolerate that foolishness in the church. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with Me in white For they are worthy, yes, another remnant. There are some people that haven't fallen to this. And you say, hey, you're going to walk with me in white. What's the white? Well, it's interesting. Revelation, Jesus comes back on what kind of a horse? A white horse. And in Daniel, there was a vision where they saw one like a son of man who had white hair. And there's a white throne. And we saw that what Jesus said, part of your reward will be, I'll give you a white stone. What's, what's up with white? Well, white is certainly symbolizes that which is clean, doesn't it? So could I throw words like pure and holy 
and righteous? How about joyful? I mean, if you're wearing white with joyful, I mean, if you're wearing white with Jesus, you're going to be joyful, aren't you? I mean, you're going to be ecstatic. You're going to have, you're going to have joy inexpressible is what the Scripture says. So Jesus is saying, hey guys, uh, those of you who are with me on this, those of you who haven't given in to that, those of you who aren't asleep, you're awake, you're doing what you're supposed to, you're going to be with me. You're going to be dressed in white. And it's going to be great. It's going to be a good day coming. Alright, so these are the overcomers. Again, he's trying to encourage them now. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Erase his name from the book of life. I mean, can he erase our names from the book of life? No. No, he can't. You say, well, it clearly implies that he can. No, he can't do it. Why? Because Jesus said this, hey, what has been given to my, into my Father's hand will not be snatched away. Why, Jesus? Why are you saying that? Because my Father is greater than all and no one can be snatched out of my Father's hand. Are you greater than the Heavenly Father to where you can unsnatch yourself from the Father's hand? You tell me. Say, I'm not convinced, John. Give me another one. I, I got another one. Paul said this, hey, you've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit as a deposit as a guarantee of the inheritance which is to come. So you tell me you're going to unguarantee what God guarantees. A seal. God has sealed you with an engagement ring called the Holy Spirit and you're going to unseal what God... You've got the power and strength to unseal what God has sealed in your life. Anyway, my, my, my point is not to go into that. You can study that for yourself. But... You're not losing your salvation. If you're a child of God, you're a child of God. God can keep His children. Look, we say that we are saved by grace through faith. But for some reason, we think we're kept by works. Do you think you can keep yourself? You couldn't even save yourself. You're going to keep yourself saved? No. I can't keep myself saved. But the Holy Spirit in me can keep me safe. The promise of Almighty God that I've been given into the Father's hand. No one's taken me out of His hand. No way. I guarantee. I speak with 100%. I will be with Jesus Christ when I die. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Amen. So, you say, well, why does it seem to imply that? Well, there's another Scripture in Hebrews, it says, um, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have ministered. You say, well, that implies God can be unrighteous. Because it says, God is not unrighteous that he would forget. Why would you say it that way? It's a double negative. You're emphasizing the positive. That's exactly what's going on here. Not unrighteous is two negatives, right? Why does God do that? I don't know. He wanted to emphasize the positive using two negatives. It's kind of the same thing here. Anyway, I read that. That's not mine, but I, I kind of liked it. Um, Alright. He will confess His name before My Father and before His angels. And you remember what Jesus said, if you confess My name before the angels, I'll confess your name before My Father in 
heaven. But if you deny my name, I will deny your name to my Father. So what we want to do again, guys, I'm sorry this message is, is sober, very sobering. Um, but there's just a time when it is that way. So how can we as a church, how should we take all this stuff here? Well, number one, if you're saved, you're with Christ. You're going to walk with Him in white. You're an overcomer because John said you are. Okay. Number two is we can rejoice in who God is. We can rejoice that Jesus is with us. He cares about the church. Jesus doesn't come to churches to condemn them. Would you agree with that? It seems like there's, there's an awful lot of uh, what um, chastening going on in the churches here. But I don't want that to be our sole focus. I mean, Jesus loves His church. He died for His church. He's with us. I mean, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And God is walking with us today as we leave here. He's with us. We have this joy inexpressible. We know the living God. We can tell other people about Jesus Christ. So when you go to the restaurants today, it's okay. Somebody says, hey, how are you doing? Say, I'm blessed. God is good. Tell them. It's okay. Because we serve the living God. Alright, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So I've, I've tried to say, okay, what did Jesus say to these churches at Thyatira? What did Jesus say to Sardis? What can we grab for ourselves today? Okay, and I, I think you got the idea that we want holiness as well as mercy. Okay? Just remember, God is merciful, gracious, and compassionate but He's also holy and righteous. And so we want to make sure that our behavior, we want to draw lines, really high bars. Okay? I had already purposed I wouldn't date anybody until I was ready to be married. Now that was just me. I'm not putting that on any of you. And when I did date, I did what I preached up here. I didn't go to people's houses alone. In fact, to this day, I'm, I'm, I feel awkward if, if I have to go, say, to Sam's house and give Stella something. I won't even go in her house. I'll stand outside. Even if she says, come on in, I'm not going in. Now, you know, sometimes I have to teach a student, a female student, and sometimes I'm the only one with her in the classroom, so I just make sure the door is, is open. But I just want to let you know, I, I'm not just blowing smoke up here when I'm, I'm reading this stuff. I try to do what I, I'm saying. And I've had a, a habit. You know, I, I don't want to ride alone in a car with a woman ever. Okay? That's, that's just me personally. But I'm saying, keep your bar high, those of you that are dating. Keep your bar high when you're watching the movies. Okay? Get the clear play. Spend 100 bucks, 150 bucks on the player so you can put a filter on it. You know, why, why submit yourself to trash and garbage? You know, get, be diligent. That's what diligence is. It's like, okay, I, I got you, Elder John. I, you know, you've mentioned this clear play thing at least three messages now. Well, are you diligent? Do you have the money to go out, go online, give me a credit card number and do it, right? I'm talking to you if you really like to watch a lot of movies. Because I don't want you, I know the, the sensuality involved out there. Okay, so... I'm just trying to give you guys some tools to help you 
keep a really high bar above sin. Okay? Because I want, I want us to be a holy church without spot, without wrinkle. Amen. Okay. We're also going to celebrate communion, as I talked to you about earlier. So those that are going to help with communion, if you can come up. You know, as I'm thinking, for Jesus to even walk in our midst, that means we had to receive His death, burial, and resurrection. What He did for us on the cross. So the fact that I can even read these letters to the churches shows the incredible thing that Jesus did by coming to earth and paying the price for our sins. We couldn't pay the price. And if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do it. Because you're not an overcoming, an overcomer. But if you receive Christ, if you confess your sins, if you cry out to Him to be your Lord and Savior, He'll come in. And you'll be an overcomer. And you will share communion with Jesus Christ. Which is what we're going to do this morning. So what I want you guys to do is just come out. Uh, we'll go row by row starting at the front. If you can come out uh, to your right and just get the elements and go back to your seat. If you can hold them in your hand uh, and then we'll all partake at the same time. You want to just open up the top uh, where we have the wafer. I'm just going to read to you from 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which He was betrayed, He took the bread, and when He had given thanks, He took it, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you, so do this in remembrance of Me. You may part. In the same way, He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. 
For as often as you drink and eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. You may participate of the cup. Thank you, Lord. We like to give thanks for the privilege and opportunity to celebrate the Lord's table here at our church. So, you just, if you have something thankful you want to say, a sentence, just, just shout it out and tell Jesus how thankful for you are uh, for the things He's done in your life. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.